Good morning, everybody. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. I've just got a couple of announcements to make really quickly before I begin the message. First of all, Easter Sunday is coming up on April 8th. April 8th is Easter Sunday morning. How many know that this space is too small for an Easter Sunday morning at Living Hope Christian Center? We've been just crying out to God and asking the Lord, what are we going to do? Are we going to add a third service? We tend to pack out the second service. And the first service has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've been putting people in the overflow room. Easter Sunday, there's always an influx. We want to make room for your friends and family members. So here is what the Lord did. The Lord opened up the, the opportunity for us to go into the Emory High School gym across the street on Easter Sunday morning. We won't have a space problem at all. We're going to have the opposite problem. We're going to have to pack that place out. We're going to have to pack that place out. So I need every single one of you to put together a list of 10 family members and friends that don't have a church home and or don't know Jesus. And I want you every week between now and Easter to call them, email them, Facebook them, text them, tweet them, messenger pigeon them, and pray for them and send singing telegrams to their house and get them into the house of God on Easter Sunday so we can pack that place out. Amen? Amen. So we're going to have one service, one service on Easter Sunday morning. It's going to be at 10.30 a.m. One service at 10.30 a.m. because we've got to be out of there by 2.30 because another group's coming in to use it. So we're going to have a 10.30 a.m. service so that the Holy Spirit has all the time he needs to do everything that he wants to do. And we are going to have an awesome, awesome time in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, secondly, we've got a couple of promotions. We've got a couple of ministry promotions and appointments to bring to your attention. First of all, would Pastors Kevin and Sylvia Carrington please come to the front right now? These are our newly appointed lay pastors. Give them a hand. Our newly appointed lay pastors. So we're adding them to the lay pastoral community. Welcome, welcome. So now uh, a lot, lots of sheep are going to be calling you for counseling and, and support and all of that. Uh, would Pastor Dyrell Venable please come to the front? Where's he at? P.D. Pastor Dyrell has already been appointed lay pastor. He has now been promoted to associate pastor. Yes. So his official title is Pastor of Formation. And that will be his role. So now we have two associate pastors at the church, Pastor Joseph and Pastor Dyrell. And we have, uh, I don't know, how many lay pastors do we have? Eleven now. Eleven lay pastors. We have youth pastors. And we have, I mean, you know, the Lord has just, Lord puts all kinds, the Lord told me uh, two years ago that there's 30 pastors in the house. Amen. At that time, he said there are 30 pastors in the house. Find them, recognize them, identify them, train them, and appoint them. So we're in the process of obeying the Lord, and many more people are going to be added to the house because of their ministry. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Yeah. One more announcement. Stay here, Kev. One more announcement. I want all of you to know that the house is governed by a board of trustees who takes financial, uh, uh, financial responsibility, fiscal responsibility for the finances of the house. All of the major financial decisions as well as the keeping of the books and, and all of that stuff, making sure that everything's in order, our bylaws, we're in order with the state, we're in compliance with the law. I want you to know that there is a wing of the church that handles that, and I want you to know who they are. They are our Living Hope Christian Center Board of Trustees. And first of all, Kevin Carrington is the Vice President of the Board of Trustees. I wanted you all to know that. Give him a hand. Thank you. Kent Turner, who many of you know Kent Turner. How many of you know Kent Turner? Kent Turner, we call him the Cosby family. The Cosbys. Yeah, Mr. Cosby. Kent Turner is the treasurer of the Board of Trustees. 
and our very own Sherry Alexander. Sherry Alexander, who serves our children's ministries, she is the secretary of the Board of Trustees. So I'm going to be putting all that up on Facebook with their pictures as well so that you know who they are, and especially you'll be hearing from them from time to time on financial matters about where we're going as a church, things like purchasing the new building and, and so on and so forth. So you need to know who they are. Amen? All right, give them a hand. How many are excited about Easter Sunday morning? I'm extremely excited. I want to say that I, was, uh, I had to leave last night before the, the leadership appreciation dinner was over, and so I missed the bulk of it. Um, I saw the beginning of it, though. I saw that Joseph Olberg impersonation, and that was the best. That was the best. Robin did. Ro and, then, and then I saw the Oscar Alvarenga impersonation, Oscar and Lisette, and that was awesome. There were some really, really good impersonations last night, but there was a whole lot of honor in the house. We honored... We honored our associate pastors, our lay pastors, our elders, and our ministry directors last night. All of them that serve the house of the Lord so faithfully. They're pillars in the house that hold the house up. And so we're so thankful to God for each and every one of them. And we took the time last night to have an appreciation dinner to honor them. If you missed it, you can still catch it by going to the live stream account. If you go to the Living Hope website, livehope.us, go to the media page and just click on the, uh, the live stream account there. It'll take you to our live stream account and the video was there from last night. And my, my wife and I, when I got home from church last night at midnight, my wife and I sat up and watched it again. And it was so good. I was just so blessed by every single one. And so I'm excited to see the fruit of that honor that was given to our leaders last night because I believe it's going to fuel their hearts and minds for the next season of service to the Lord. Amen? Amen? I have a message for you this morning that's entitled, The Mobilization Mandate. The Mobilization Mandate. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that your spirit would fall mightily in this place. I pray that your word would come forth with clarity and with boldness. And I pray, Father, for a spirit of activation, a spirit of activation to fall on the house. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The mobilization mandate. The mobilization mandate. Let me ask you a question. Why are you saved? Now, we understand from the Abba construct, and those of you who have taken the Abba conference or the Encounter conference know, and those of you who have not, you will take it September 14th and 15th. Look at your neighbor and say amen. amen. Mm -hmm. We're going to do it in UC Berkeley, September 14th and 15th, and uh, we're going to rent out Zellerbach Auditorium and pack 2,000 people up in that piece. Okay? But if you know, if you have gone through the Encounter conference or the Abba conference, you know that your purpose is to be the object of God's love, right? That's your purpose in sonship. But there are three objectives. Your purpose is to be loved by God, but you have objectives that constitute your mission. That is, it's not just sitting around singing kumbaya and saying, I am loved, I am loved, I am loved. The church has been doing that for far too long, and now it's time for us to get up and recognize I am loved, and that's why I'm going to go to work for the kingdom of God. Amen? 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 Understanding that the grace of God saves us, and grace alone saves, but grace that saves is never alone. It always results in us doing something. Now, if we're going to do something, what are we going to do? What are the objectives? What is the mobilization mandate? That is, what we are after in this next season is the 100% mobilization of the church. Every man, woman, and child needs to get involved in the mission that Jesus Christ sent us to accomplish. But what is that? what does that look like if we are mobilizing the church what are we mobilizing the church to do? We are mobilizing the church for 
three objectives, but it's all encapsulated in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. And if you would turn there in your Bible, I want you to see this very clearly. Galatians 3, 14. When you get there, say amen. Galatians 3.14. This is what it says. It says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I'm going to say it again because you didn't hear it. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, use a Gentile. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, that was rightfully Abraham's, that God gave to Abraham, that very blessing would come upon you and me. Now, I want us to look at the blessing he gave to Abraham so we know. I mean, if you don't know what blessing he gave to Abraham, you don't know what's come upon you. The greatest problem in the church is we have no idea what we've got. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see that? You see that? I... No, you didn't see it yet because you'd be jumping and shouting. We're getting there. I'm going to get you there before this. You're going to be shouting like this is the Kojic convention before this day is over. <laughs> Genesis 22:17. He blesses Abraham again. Genesis 22:17 and Abraham and 18. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You know, I was, uh, I was working at the bank when I was a college student, and I was a teller at, uh, what was at that time, Washington Mutual Bank, which was bought by, uh, well, actually before that it was American Savings Bank, and then it was bought by Washington Mutual and now it's Chase. But I was working there when it was American Savings Bank. And I was a teller, and I was a Bible college student first year. This was in the uh, fall of 1994. And I was working hard. I was the best teller there, but I didn't get no props. Because my boss, he didn't like me, so he didn't recognize. He didn't recognize my excellence. And you know, the assistant manager was mad at him all the time because I constantly was just shining, and, and, but I didn't get no props. And I remember one time they would send a shopper. The company would send a shopper to the bank. And what a shopper was was somebody hired by the bank to just come do a transaction, and then they would rate that teller on a scale of one to five. Well, a shopper came to my window, and I got a five, which nobody gets. It was the highest ranking you could get, and it was reported to, my, to the branch manager that I got a five, 
and there was nothing. I mean, it was, there was no recognition in the staff meeting. And so finally, the next staff meeting, the assistant manager jumped up and said, Benjamin got a five from a shopper, you know? And, and he didn't respond, so nobody else responded. So I'm like, man, I'm never going to get my props up in this piece. You know what I'm talking about? So one day, I, I go to the Chinese uh, place around the corner at lunchtime. I'm on my lunch break, and I go in there, and I walk in there, and I'm standing in line ordering. There's this homeless person standing right outside the door. And everybody was passing by the homeless person, and nobody was helping him. And he was asking for food and asking for money. So I just looked at the person. I said, look, are you hungry? And he said, yes, I am. I said, can I buy you some food? He said, I would be very thankful if you would. I said, no problem. So I went to the counter, ordered my food, ordered his food. And as soon as I handed him the, the plate, the lady behind me tapped me on the shoulder, and she said, the Lord says, because you've done this good deed for this poor person, you're going to get a raise. And I said, hallelujah. <laughs> I receive it. Mm. And I thought, to, I thought to myself, that's really going to have to be a miracle because my boss doesn't like me. Well, a week later, my boss came over, and actually it was the assistant man manager. She came over. She handed me a little slip of paper. I said, what's this? And she goes, it's your raise. She said, it's your raise. She said, I put in a good word for you. I made it happen. I went to bat for you, and I made it happen. You deserve it. Now, that raise was like a dollar and 50 cents an hour. And I worked like 20 hours a week. So that was like $30 a week raise. I was like, $30, hallelujah. You know, $120 a month. You know what I can do with the $120 a month? I was so excited about that $120. I mean, I was, I was telling that testimony everywhere. I got an extra dollar fifty an hour because I fed one homeless person. The Lord blessed me. You know, there was another young lady that got a prophetic word. We were at a meeting, and a prophet was prophesying over people, and she got a prophetic word. The Lord says, I'm going to give you a husband. And the Lord says, I'm setting him apart already. I've set him apart from his mother's womb. And man, she was jumping and shouting all over that place like they had just won the NBA championship because she had been crying out for a husband and telling everybody, I want a husband, I want a husband, I want a husband. And then the prophet says, the Lord says, you're going to get a husband. You know the promises of God, when you receive a promise from God, when a promise from God comes to you, there are some promises that are just sweet. You know, I mean, just they're just sweet to the taste. Like you just get all excited about some of the promises that God gives. Listen, if we get excited about a $1.50 raise or a husband, I'm telling you that the promise of God is that the promise given to Abraham belongs to you. We're shouting over extra Chinese food. But God has given us the promise to, did you not hear what God promised Abraham? He said, in blessing I will bless you, in multiplying I will multiply you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sands on the sea, and your descendants will possess the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That blessing is yours. That promise is yours. Why? Because you're descendants of Abraham. You are, you are the inheritors of the greatest promise that God ever made to any man. It's a promise. It's funny. We, we shout over a $1.50 raise, but we get the promise to Abraham, and we don't shout because we don't believe it. We don't even know what that looks like. And if we received it, we would think we were lucky, like we had just won the lottery. And it's because we don't understand the nature of the blessing of the Lord. And what I'm declaring to you today is that that blessing requires activation. Amen. You know, when you get a, a replacement credit card in the mail or any credit card, 
an, uh, an ATM card. You can get an ATM card in the mail. It doesn't matter if you have a million dollars in the account. Until you activate that card, is useless. I mean, you could have an account with $50 billion in it and get rejected. I wonder why every time I use this card, Starbucks $3 rejected, declined. Lucky store, five, you never activated it. And some of you are wondering why I get rejected every single time I seek something. Every time I apply for a job, I get turned down. Every time I take a test, I fail. Every time is because you've got to figure out how to activate the card. And the card is the blessing card. It's the blessing of Abraham. And there's no expiration date on it. Come on, somebody. And the account is limitless. But you've got to activate it. And how do you activate it? You activate it through obedience. Look at your neighbor say obedience. He said it right here at the end of Genesis 22:18. He said, through you all through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because you have obeyed me. It's activated through obedience. Remember in Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, get up out of your father's house and go to the place that I'll show you. And behold, I will make of you a great nation. The promise always follows obedience. And the card does not get activated until we make a decision. I'm going to start obeying God. I'm going to start doing what he said. I'm going to start following through on his commands. Are you hearing me this morning? Secondly, the promise is activated through faith. It's activated through faith. Paul says, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise is activated through faith. If you don't believe you've received the promise, the promise will not activate. You cannot use what you don't believe you have. Or you will not use what you don't believe you have. You just won't use it. Because you don't believe you have it. And so we've got to activate it through faith and obedience. Now, what does it look like when we begin to activate that blessing that God has given us through Abraham? What it looks like is the mobilization mandate. In other words, in order to activate the blessing that God's given to Abraham, you've got to do something that God can bless. The blessing to Abraham only functions within the context of blessable activity. If you're not doing nothing blessworthy, the blessing of Abraham does not operate on video games. You're waiting for the Abrahamic blessing to break out, but all you're doing is sitting around watching TV and playing video games. God can't bless that. And you wouldn't want him to bless it. Matter of fact, your wife is praying that God would curse it so you can come to bed talking to somebody up in here. <laughs> there are three blessable contexts, three blessable activities that where it, within which the, the blessing given to Abraham will operate in the life of the believer. Those three blessable activities are the three objectives of the church. That is, Jesus Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing that God gave to Abraham might flow through the church through fulfilling these three objectives. If we step out of the realm of these three objectives, we step out of the realm in which God will bless us. We live outside of blessing because we're living outside of obedience. And how many know that delayed obedience is disobedience? Hmm. Three objectives. First objective, number one, evangelism. Number one, evangelism. 
That is the first objective. You want to see the blessing of Abraham break forth in your life? you got to step into the realm of evangelism. We're going to talk about that. The second objective, discipleship. Discipleship. The third objective, influence. Influence. Evangelism, discipleship, and influence. Those are the three objectives of the church, and those three objectives are the context within which the blessing that God gave to Abraham will manifest in our lives. Now, let's talk about each of these. First of all, evangelism. Evangelism. The word evangelism, if you take the V and turn it into a U, you've got the Greek word. The Greek word is euangelion. Say that, euangelion. Euangelion. It means gospel. The gospel is the euangelion, or they shorten it, they call it the euangel, or the evangel. An evangelist is a gospelist. A gospelist. A euangelist. The church must be about the gospel. Until you step into the realm of the gospel, you are not yet in the realm within which God can bless you. God is not going to bless you as long as you're running from your responsibility to preach the gospel to every creature under heaven. Now in Mark chapter 1 verse 14 and 15, the scripture says, After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And there were three components to his message. Number one, the time has come. Number two, the kingdom of God is here. Number three, repent and believe the gospel. Those are the three components of the gospel. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. First and foremost, if you're going to preach the gospel, you've got to start by discerning the time. You've got to know what time it is. Look at your neighbor and say, what time is it? Is it gospel time? You've got to know that there is an appointed time for every creature under heaven. And the you stepping into the realm of the gospel does not start when you decide to ram the gospel down people's throats. That's not what it's about. It's not about going into the streets and ramming a track in the hand of every person you meet. It's not about going around your job and, and, and sharing a testimony with everybody in your office and telling them to turn off their worldly music and asking them not to curse and smoke in your presence. That is not being a witness for Jesus. That is not evangelism. That's foolishness. And that foolishness is one of the reasons why people don't want Jesus. Because they see so much foolishness in his people. Come on, somebody. We've got to keep it real up in this piece. It starts by recognizing that the time has come. And everywhere we go, every day, we come into contact with people whose time has come, but there's nobody to preach the gospel to them because the church is asleep. I remember I, I, I was telling, uh, saying earlier that, you know, I used to have a gift for blowing out the back of my pants. I had an anointing for it. I just bend over, pow! The back of my pants would just explode. There was just explosive power back there that was just, was just this power. And I mean, I blew out so many pairs of slacks. I, I don't, I, I can't tell you how many pairs of slacks. And sometimes it would come with the, it would rupture with such force that it would just completely destroy the slack. I mean, shred the back. It looked like, looked like a, a grenade exploded back there. But other times it would just pop the seam. Now, if you just pop the seam, that can be repaired. But if you explode the pants, you know, matter of fact, I did that on an Easter Sunday morning three years ago right here. Easter Sunday morning was the first Sunday in this new space, 
and I was, I was meeting with the leaders. I had a leadership meeting before the service, and right at the end of the serv- right at the end of the leadership meeting, 20 minutes before the service started, I bent down to pick up a bottle of water, and when I bent down, pow! destroyed the back of my pants and I'm thinking Easter Sunday service starts in 20 minutes and I'm gonna be up here with all my glory being revealed in the <laughs> and and, uh, and and one of the brothers he ran home he lives 10 minutes away he ran home grabbed a suit and hung it on my door and two minutes before the service starts, he said pastor go to your office you're all set up and it was this suit he was my size and he said pastor you can keep that and it was actually a nicer suit than the one I destroyed I said I gotta destroy some more suits <laughs> But I had this one pair of slacks I got from the men's warehouse, and I blew the back at them, but I just popped the seam. I mean, it was like the veil. It was rent from top to bottom. I mean, it was like that seam was gone, right? And, but I was procrastinating because I knew if I just took them back to the men's warehouse, they would repair them for me. But I had a spirit of procrastination. See, how many know that procrastination is the most wicked demon in hell? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And good intentions is the work of the spirit of procrastination. Amen. And so I was procrastinating. It took me months. And those, those slacks were still hanging in my closet. And finally, all of a sudden, one Saturday, I had this overwhelming urge to take those slacks to, to the men's warehouse. So I grabbed the slacks, and I jump in my car, and I run over to the men's warehouse at Stone Ridge Mall. I run into there, and I hand them the slacks, and they said, come back in two days. And so I'm walking out of the mall, and as I come out of the entrance... As I'm walking out behind me, sitting over there on the bench, there are these two boys, two young boys, like high school age students. And as I walked out, one of them said to the other, man, I'm sick of people telling me about the Bible. All them people in the Bible were sleeping with their brothers and sisters anyway. And I went, the time has come. The time has come. I knew it. I knew this was a divine appointment. It was like at that moment, something on the inside of me said, son, this is why I sent you to the men's warehouse right now. It wasn't about the slacks. It was about these two souls. And so I turned around and I said, can I talk to you guys? And the one of them was looking all gangster. He's like, what do you want? What do you want? Looking up at me like he wanted to do something to me. You know what I'm talking about? But see, I'm from East Oakland, so I didn't flinch. So I said, look. I said, I hear you guys talking about the Bible. Can I talk to you guys? And he was about to say, no, man, get out of here. But his friend said, sure, we'd love to hear what you have to say. I said, awesome. So I started sharing the gospel with them. I talked to them for about 45 minutes. At the end of that talk, both of them gave their lives to the Lord. Why? Because the time had come. The time had come. Now, we, I could have walked right past. I could have walked, oh, that's nice. They're talking about that, and I'm about. We miss it all the time because our ears are not open to hear the Lord say, it's now. The time has come. Now. The time. And it's not by what you see with your eyes. Sometimes you look at people and say, it ain't his time yet. He's wicked. And God says, no, 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 no. You have no idea what I'm doing in his heart. The time has come. Now, go talk to that person. Now, call your cousin. Now, call your nephew. Now. But if you're not spending any time in prayer, you can't hear the Lord say now. You see, we live in such a safe place. One of the terminologies that we use a lot is, well, if the Lord stirs your heart, you know, I don't say that anymore. If the Lord stirs your heart, you have to spend time with the Lord in order for him to stir your heart. And so most of us believers, we, we are so safe from God stirring our hearts. Why? Because we stay as far away from his presence as we possibly can. And so it's not that God doesn't want it for it. And we say, well, when the Lord stirs my heart, when the Lord stirs my heart, I'll do it. And he's saying, well, I can only stir your heart if you get in my presence. We don't know when the time has come because we stay far away from the presence of God and we stay safe from the promptings of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit might prompt me to do something that I don't want to do, even something out of my comfort zone, God forbid, because that's what life is really about, right? It's about the pursuit of comfort. 
and, and as long as I can stay comfortable, I'll serve the Lord. But anything that calls me out of my comfort zone, let me tell you something. You don't find your destiny until you get out of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone keeps you out of your blessing. You cannot walk in the realm of Abrahamic blessing and live in your comfort zone at the same time. Comfort and blessing are antithetical realities. Come on, somebody. The time has come. The time has come. And listen, this is also a dispensational reality. The time has come. The time came 2,000 years ago when our Lord Jesus Christ hung on a cross between earth and heaven with nails in his hands and feet and a crown of thorns upon his head. The time came when he said it is finished. The time had come. It's a dispensational reality. We're simply waiting for the Holy Spirit to manifest this, that dispensational reality in our actual living day-to-day -day experience. But that only happens as we get on our knees and wait before the Lord or as we're walking the streets, if we're crying out to God in our hearts and saying, God, speak to me, show me me show me when the time has come open my ears open my eyes let me see and then we do what we see the father doing the time has come number two the kingdom of God is here the kingdom of God is here once again there's a twofold reality here first of all there's an internal referent the kingdom of God is here Jesus is saying I have been invested with all of the power and authority of the kingdom of God the kingdom of God's living in me and when I show up the kingdom of God is here the kingdom of God is here because I am here Jesus is saying I've got all the power and authority to preach the gospel to you and to see the results in your life why because I've been filled with the Holy Spirit so there's an internal referent you got to know that the power of the Holy Spirit lives in you now the hard thing about that is you don't always feel anointed you wake up in the morning feeling powerless sometimes and a lot of times we think well I need to pray more and when I get some more anointment then I'll go do it right but I, I can't do it yet because I'm not ready yet because I don't have enough power yet well there's not only an internal referent there's an external referent in other words it's a, it's once again it's a dispensational reality the kingdom of God came when Jesus came the kingdom of God came when the power of the Holy Spirit was come and that coming of the kingdom of God is not dependent upon you and me Every single one of us can fall into sin, fall from grace. This church can shut down, and it won't do anything to the fact that the kingdom of God has already come. The grace of God has already been poured out in Christ Jesus. His, his love never fails, and his glory will, will cover the earth. And with or without you and me, this glorious gospel of the kingdom will be preached in every nation, and then the end will come. Amen. So you've got to know how powerful you are. You've got to know that the kingdom of God has come and that that kingdom power lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason we don't preach the gospel is because we think that the unbelief of unbelievers is stronger than the faith of the faithful. We think that the unbelief of unbelievers is more powerful than the faith of the faithful. Why am I afraid to share the gospel with somebody? Because I don't believe it's going to do anything. Why? Because their unbelief is so strong. Their unbelief is just so strong. We believe in, un we believe in omnipotent unbelief. All we think unbelief is even stronger than Jesus. Remember, it's all because of that one verse where it says, not many works, mighty works could he do because of their unbelief. So we think that means that in the presence of unbelief, Jesus can't do anything. Let me tell you something. Jesus did all of his miracles in front of unbelievers. The more Pharisees you can get into the room, the more miracles he can do. He would look around, and I'll tell you why. Because all unbelief does is cut you off from being able to receive from God. It doesn't cut God off from being able to do anything. But there's a difference between unbelief and opposition. When Jesus looked around and saw opposition in the room, he got even bolder. 
He became more powerful. The greater the opposition, the greater the authority of Jesus Christ that manifests. You get me a bunch of witches in the room. You put, bring a bunch of Satanists in the room. I'll be even more powerful than I am here. I'll tell you why. Because of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Whenever there's a collision of kingdom, there's greater power and there's greater authority. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The church has walked in an inferiority complex for too long. We think the media is stronger than the church. We think the government is stronger than the church. We think the educational department is stronger than the church. We think that, that celebrities are, in, are stronger than the church. I'm telling you that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The kingdom of God is here. Amen. And then Jesus said, repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, there's a sloppy agape gospel being preached right now in the world. It is a gospel without repentance. It is a gospel that just says, just say this prayer and everything will be all good for you. Just say this prayer. And we're wondering why 95% of people who say the prayer, say the prayer and then go back to their old lives. Why? Because they don't repent. Now, let me tell you something. The fact that you say, Lord, I repent, has nothing to do with whether or not you repented. Most people who say, Lord, I repent, did not repent. It's just like saying, honey, I cleaned the room, but I didn't actually clean the room. It's just words. It's like my wife says, can you put some gas in the car? And I say, baby, I put gas in the car. Right now, I put gas in the car in Jesus' name. No, 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 you better go put your butt in the car. <laughs> and then take the car to the gas station. you got to do something. Repentance is a verb. It's an action. And it is a process. Repentance means to radically reorient your life, putting Christ at the center of it. Because before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were at the center of it. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have to dethrone yourself and put Jesus on that throne. And you have to keep yourself at his feet because you're going to want to throw him off that throne and jump back up on it as soon as something goes wrong in your life. And so repentance is a process of making sure that Jesus Christ is the center of your life. And Jesus commanded them, repent and believe. Not just believe, but repent. Believing will do you no good if you refuse to repent. Okay, we're going to touch on these things, and we'll come back in more detail in other messages. So first and foremost, the goal uh, the objective of the church is evangelism, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth and to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ and not this catch-and-release evangelism. Say the prayer, go with God, hope you find a church. See you, Maria. Hasta la vista. It's like having a baby and then leaving that baby on the side of the road and saying, go with God, hope you find a home, and I hope you find food. Make sure you find a good home. See you later. It's the same thing as leading somebody to Christ and saying, make sure you find a good church. We've got to move from evangelism to discipleship. Discipleship. Jesus told his disciples, he commanded his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world and make disciples. Not converts, disciples. Not Christians, disciples. Not church members, disciples. He didn't say go into all the world and get as many butts and as many seats as you possibly can. Fill as many auditoriums as you possibly can. Put out as many flyers. He said make disciples. And until discipleship has become a reality, I don't care how big the church grows, we are not doing what Jesus sent us to do. Discipleship is an intentional process by which a person is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by entering into covenantal relationship with a body of believers and coming into submission to the leadership of a local church. You can get the recording and listen to that one again. 
Okay? So make disciples. And the first step of discipleship is baptism. Baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, that's one of the most disobeyed commands in the body of Christ, to baptize. I'll never forget, we had a, a baptism, and there was a, a young lady in our congregation that had just given her life to the Lord, but she wasn't prepared for the baptism. She was wearing slacks and, a, and this really nice uh, sweater. She was all dressed up for church, but she had just given her life to the Lord that day. She said, I'm not waiting. She jumped in the pool of baptism in her church clothes. I mean, makeup was on. She didn't care about her hair, her makeup, or anything. She didn't care about her clothes, and it was cold outside, but we, it, she said, I'm going to do what Jesus commanded me to do. I want the world to see that my... My life belongs to him, and we dunked her under the water, and she came out rejoicing and, and excited about Jesus. Amen. Be baptized. It is an outward sign of an inward reality. Amen. It is a public witness before the world, before angels and before devils and before men, that my life belongs to Jesus Christ. And it is a drama, a living drama, a dramatization of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, having been baptized in the likeness of his death, when we come up out of the water, we come up in the likeness of his resurrection. It means that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live by, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, moving on. The third objective of the church is influence. First, evangelism, then discipleship, and then influence. And this is where every member of the body of Christ has a part to play. Now, first of all, every member of the body of Christ has a part to play in all three. You can't say I'm an evangelist, but I don't do any discipling. You can't say I'm a discipler, but I don't have any influence. You can't say I just do influence, but I don't evangelize or do any discipling. Absolutely not. Every member of the body of Christ is to be mobilized to do all three. Now, you might be particularly gifted in one place, and so that one area is going to be maximized for the kingdom of God, and that's fine, but they feed each other. Evangelism without discipleship loses the harvest. Discipleship without evangelism is pharisaicalism. And when there's no influence, there's no evangelism. One of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is that we begin to lose our influence in the workplace. And the reason we begin to lose our influence in the workplace is because on the way to work, we got 16 bumper stickers on our car that say, honk if you love Jesus, but the last time somebody honked, you gave them the finger. <laughs> and you had a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is my co-pilot, but you're driving 90 miles an hour on the freeway. And everybody at the office has heard your testimony of how Jesus has pulled you out of sin, death, and hell and given you the power of the Holy Spirit, but for some reason that power is not strong enough to get you to work on time. There's a credibility gap because in one breath you'll ask the person at the cubicle next to you to turn down their worldly music and stop using curse words around you, but in the next breath you'll be gossiping about another coworker to another coworker. We've lost our influence, not because we have not discovered the right combination of words that leads people to Christ, but because our character and our integrity has not measured up to the message we preach and to the reality that we claim that resides in our hearts and lives. We've lost our influence, but now it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to regain its influence in the earth. And God wants to give you influence in the seven key spheres of influence in society, which are arts education, business, government, media, family, and religion. Arts, education, business, government, media, family, and religion. Arts, education, business, 
government, media, family, and religion. What does that mean? That means if you're an artist, you're called to be an excellent artist, and you're called to glorify God with your art, and you should not make it your goal to produce mediocre art that nobody sees. You should make it your goal to make the best art that you can possibly make for the glory of God. Why? Because art is nothing more than an aesthetic articulation of alleged truth. I'm going to say that again. Art is an aesthetic articulation of alleged truth. Every piece of art proposes something to be true, and the young people in our society are being discipled by secular artists who are declaring to be true things that we know to be a lie. And what we need are the members of the body of Christ to rise up and say, we're going to create a new artistic expression in the world, an expression in the world that declares that which we know to be true. Amen. If you're in the area of business, you should not feel guilty if you make money. Hello? You should be making more money. God wants to put you in places of influence in your company. You should be thinking CEO. You should be thinking CFO. You should be thinking high-ranking places of authority. One of the problems we see in local governments, like in the city of Emeryville or in the city of Berkeley, it's hard for churches to get properties. Why? Because there's a godless planning commission that's not thinking kingdom. They're thinking keep out the kingdom. They won't even give churches permits in the city of Berkeley. But what if there was a handful of, of, of sons and daughters of God that God would raise up to the places of government in these cities so that they can make a way for the kingdom of God in the earth? Are you hearing me? We've got to begin to think influence. Why? Because influence opens the door to evangelism, and evangelism opens the door to discipleship, and discipleship opens the door to greater influence, and greater influence opens the door to greater evangelism, and greater evangelism. See, if we're thinking this way, then when we step into the, the realm of influence, now the blessing of Abraham activates because you're not trying to activate it just so you could fat cat. Are you hearing me? The blessing of Abraham means two things. Number one, that you will be blessed. He said, in blessing, I will bless you. Number one, that you would be blessed, that is, that you would increase. That you would be blessed, that is, that you would increase. And number two, that you would be a blessing, that is, that you would bring increase. You should not only be increasing in your company, you should be bringing increase to your company. You should be increasing and bringing increase and that is what the blessing of Abraham does when you are living in the sphere of the three objectives of the church alright I'm gonna take it to the next level because I'm gonna bring it to a close soon I'm not gonna keep you here all day somebody say help him Lord <laughs> now the reason most believers in the body of Christ live outside of the realm of the three objectives of the church the reason most believers never make it there is because instead of living in the realm of the three objectives, we live in the realm of the five enemies. We can spend so much of our time fighting the five enemies that we never get a moment to pursue the three objectives. I don't have a moment to think about evangelism or discipleship. Most believers in Jesus Christ can't think of the last person they shared the gospel with, if they ever have. Most believers can't think of somebody that they're helping grow in their relationship with Christ. Most believers can't think of, can't, don't even think they have any influence anywhere in the world or in the workplace. Why? Because we're still battling the five enemies. And if we're, if we're battling the five enemies, we don't have time to pursue the three objectives. What are the five enemies? Sin, sickness, demons, flesh, mind. Sin, sickness, demons, flesh, 
mind. Sin is an enemy. Why? Because it's a distraction. The whole purpose of temptation and sin is to get you so wrapped up in getting yourself clean that you don't have a moment to pursue the call of God on your life. The only thing you're pursuing is freedom. And Satan laughs when believers spend 20 years, 30 years, oh, I'm going to get free this year. Oh, I know I'm going to get free. I'm going to get cleaned up, and I'm going to get free, and I know I'm going to get free. And it's just, if, if your whole life revolves around you getting free, then your whole life is about you. <laughs> it's not about you, saith the Lord. Sin. Sickness. Sickness is an enemy. It's an enemy. We don't realize how demonic sickness is. When we see sickness come into our lives, we just think, oh, this is just a natural thing. It happens to everybody. And it's just. But do you realize how strategic it is? When it hits you on Saturday night, so you stay home Sunday morning, and then you hear that a word came that set everybody free. Hmm, you think the devil had something to do with that? There are persistent sicknesses that come upon people to keep them out of their destiny. If it's keeping you out of your destiny, I don't care how natural it seems to be. I don't care if it, it was hereditary and came. It's demonic. And a lot of people in the body of Christ can't step into their destiny because they're too busy battling sickness. What does that mean? That you should feel guilty if you're sick or it's because you don't have enough faith? No. That's not what it means at all. It simply means that you need to recognize what the enemy is trying to do to you so you know how to combat it. But what I want to do is lift your eyes up above it and lift your eyes up beyond it so that you make a decision in your heart. These five enemies aren't going to stop me from pursuing my destiny in God. I'm going to step into those three spheres and those three objectives and I'm going to focus my energy there. And when these five enemies try to stop me, I'm simply going to refute them, reject them, and push them away. Demons. We're living in a day and age in which people don't believe in demons. May I tell you that they are real? They are not personifications of evil in the world. They are real beings, emanations of Satan that come to steal and to kill and to destroy you. But I want you to know that we are victorious over demons. I've seen believers spend years trying to get delivered from demons, and that's not biblical. You don't spend years fighting demons. It's in a moment. Come out, and it's done. You move on. The problem is we don't believe we can get delivered. We believe it's going to be a long, drawn-out process. And because we believe it, God says, be it unto you according to your faith. Flesh. The flesh is that internal compulsion to keep on sinning when God says live righteous. The flesh. The flesh is that pervasive and persistent um, uh, focus upon the self that wants to put the self back on the throne after Jesus has been put there. That's what the flesh is. And then the mind. It doesn't mean that thinking is your enemy. It means that you have the tendency when you're in the flesh to think the wrong things. So oftentimes our own thought processes are our greatest enemies. Sometimes you're critiquing yourself when nobody else is critiquing you. 
Huh? You're tearing yourself down when every, nobody else is tearing you down. You're feeling rejected when nobody's rejecting you. Why? Because that carnal mind keeps going in the wrong direction. Our thoughts are like sheep that have gone astray, but we have to learn to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So how do you deal with sin? Repent. How do you deal with sickness? Pray for healing. How do you deal with demons? Cast them out. What do you do with the flesh? Crucify it. What do you do with the mind? Renew it. So every morning you wake up, you repent, you pray for healing, you cast out the devil, you crucify the flesh, and you renew your mind, and then you spend the rest of your day operating in the three objectives. Are you hearing me? What tends to happen is in the morning we start with the first one. Oh, Lord, forgive me of my sin. And by noon we've gone on to the second one. Lord, heal my hip. And then by afternoon, we've gone to the third one. Lord, rebuke the devil. And then by the evening, we've got to the flesh. And then we lay in bed, and we're so filled with anxiety and fear. Oh, Lord, help my mind. And we spent the whole day wrestling with the five enemies and never even stepped into the three objectives. It's time for us to grow up. These are childish things. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away all this foolishness. I don't wrestle with the devil. My Lord Jesus Christ triumphed over every power and principality. He made a public spectacle of him. I was talking to Pastor Daniels, and he said, yeah, you know, uh, when you talk to Dr. Kirby, he won't even talk about the devil. I asked him one time, what about the devil? He said, he's a defeated foe. Let's talk about something else. Are you hearing me this morning? God wants to take us on. So it is high time for us to wake from sleep. These are the ways the devil tries to keep us in the stupor of sleep so that we never rise up and take our place. And it is time for God to raise up a generation of sons and daughters who are whole, who are powerfully equipped, and who are awakened to the great call of God on their lives. And I want to tell you that there's a great call of God in your life. You say, well, I'm not called to preach. Listen, let me tell you something. You're called to evangelize, you're called to disciple, and you're called to have influence. You say, well, does that mean I have to work for the church full time? Absolutely not. Does that mean I have to quit my secular job? You better not quit that secular job. We need your tithe. Look at your neighbor and say, we need your tithe. No, but it means wherever God places you in this world, you are called to do those three things there. And you're called to walk in the power and authority of the kingdom of God. And you're called to bring the Abrahamic blessing there. And you're called to increase there. And you're called to be a blessing there. And you're called to hear the Lord say the time has come there. That's the call of God. But we got to get out of this realm of the five enemies and step into the realm of the three objectives. This is the mobilization mandate. And the mobilization mandate mandate means that we need 100% mobilization of the church not just the elite spiritual professional few we're talking about every believer in Jesus Christ rising up and saying it is time for the end time harvest of souls but the end time harvest of souls is going to take every member of the body of Christ to rise up and say we're going to go get them you know we've been saying for so long the harvest is coming may I say to you that the harvest is not coming the whole idea of the harvest coming to the church is unbiblical. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and see. The field is white unto harvest, but the labors are few. The harvest dies when there are no labors to go get it. But no farmer sits in his house saying, it's harvest time. I'm waiting for it to come. You got to go get it. We got to go get it. And we're about to start going to get it right now. Come on, give Jesus a hand. Hallelujah.
Bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for a great unction of the Holy Spirit. I pray for a great dispensation of your power, your glory. I pray that you would come mightily on this house right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would mobilize every lethargic heart. Lord, the enemy has weighted us down for too long. He's weighted us down with sin. He's weighted us down with sickness. He's weighted us down with demonic oppression. He's weighted us down with the flesh. And he's weighted us down in our minds. But Lord, you commanded us to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Father, I pray tonight, today, this morning, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would raise up this army, that you would empower them, that you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen them in the inner man, Holy Spirit, come right now. Lord, some are here this morning and there's just a heaviness, a darkness, a sense of condemnation, fear, guilt, shame, whatever it is. God, remove that cloud right now. Remove it. Remove it. I say to you, son, daughter, that's not who you are. Some of you have lived with that dark, dark cloud over your life for so many years that you've gotten used to it. You just think it's normal. It's part of life. I'm telling you, it is not part of life. It's the attack of the enemy to keep you from seeing who you are in God. God wants you to know that you are mighty in him. You are mighty. You are mighty in him. I just pray, Father, that you would just begin to reveal to these sons and daughters of yours who they are in you, how powerful they are. You say, well, I'm here. You say, I don't even know Jesus. What do you mean I'm powerful? Listen, the reason you don't know Jesus is because you just don't know who you are in him fact of the matter is he already paid the price for your salvation. You just haven't activated that card. You already paid the price. The price has already been paid. The way has already been set. The table has already been set. You simply got to make a decision, but make no mistake, it's not a momentary decision that you just say a prayer and, and make sure you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die. There is no prayer that you can pray that will ensure that you go to heaven when you die. It's not a magic words. You got to repent you got to make a decision to take yourself down from that throne and put Jesus on it and keep him there. And you're going to need to walk with a body of believers in order to do it. I'm speaking to you this morning because Jesus is reaching for you. Because Jesus is calling you. And some of you have been resisting him for too long. Some of you have said in your hearts, well, I'll turn my life over to Jesus, but not yet. Maybe tomorrow. Let me tell you something. Nobody promised you tomorrow. God didn't promise you tomorrow. Some people say it's never too late. I'm telling you that there comes a time when it is too late, my friend. When this life is over and you have no idea how many breaths you have left in your body, and it is absolute pride to think that you can keep breathing God's air and not acknowledge him in your life and just assume that you're going to keep getting more breaths to breathe. You have no idea. I charge you this morning to make a decision for Jesus. To make a decision for Jesus. To make a decision for Jesus. He wants you. He's reaching for you. And let me tell you something. Making a decision for Jesus is not just a personal decision. It's a decision to become a part of his body. Right now, there are 134 members in this church and 125 attenders who come every Sunday but have not gone through membership yet. You 125, you need to get into membership. Why? So that you can be discipled. 
You haven't even stepped into the three objectives yet. You're just attending a show called church. The show is over, my friends. It's time to mobilize the house. It's time for every one of us to rise up and get in the game. You've been sitting on the bench for too long. It's time to get in the game. Come on, somebody. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would stir every heart. I pray that you would stir every soul. I pray that you would break every stronghold of the devil over every heart. I pray that you would open up our minds right now. Lord, some of us here, the prince of this world has blinded our eyes so that we cannot see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But Father, this morning in the name of Jesus, we pull those blinders off of eyes in Jesus' name. We command blind eyes to open. We command you to see right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, do it. I pray for activation. I pray for mobilization. I pray you would do it by your spirit and power. In the name of Jesus. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to ask, is there anybody here? Somebody here? You say, I'm ready to turn my life over to Jesus Christ. And you know what? I'm not even going to do this thing. Nobody's looking around. Nobody has to see you raise your hand. You know what? That, that day is over. That whole secret thing. You can, just, you can just lift your hand in secret. That way you can live your whole life without anybody ever knowing that, yes, without anybody ever knowing that you, listen, you need to make a decision today that I've decided to follow Jesus come hell or hot water. There is no turning back. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who sees me. I'm going to do it. If that's you, lift your hand. This sister over here has already lifted her hand. Somebody else. Somebody else, lift your hand. Make a decision today. Make a decision. It's time. You've been running. You've been running, but he's been chasing you. He's been chasing. I see a hand back there. I see a hand back there. Amen. Is there somebody else? Somebody else. You say, I'm ready. I'm ready. You two that lifted your hands, come here. Come here. Come here quickly. Come here. Yes, God. Yes. Come on. Give them a hand. Give them a hand. Come here. That person in the back that lifted their hand. Come on up here. Come on up here. Don't be a coward. You ain't got to be afraid. There's no fear in this. This is the most powerful decision that you could ever make. It's the most powerful decision that you could ever make. You know why you're here? Because God has a, a powerful plan for your life, young man. That stirring that you felt in your heart when you lifted your hand, it's real. This is not to embarrass you. This is to empower you. You know why? Because I see strength in you. I see boldness in you. God has set you apart, and God wants you to know that your grades are about to improve. From this very moment, from this day, you're going to look back on this day. Why? Because God put you in your school to have influence. And if you don't take your education seriously, you're leaving aside your influence. You're letting it go. You're wasting your influence. But from this day, there's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit and encouragement is coming over you. You've been so discouraged. You haven't gotten a whole lot of encouragement, but I'm here to encourage you right now because I see greatness in you, young man. There's greatness in you. There's greatness in you. And I want you to know today, Stacy. I know we said it to you earlier, but I'm going to say it again, that that power of death that has followed you all the, all the days of your life, it is over and it is done. And even what happened to you last night was a lie of the enemy to stop you. It's not a coincidence that your neighbor died last night in a fire when you were getting ready to come. You had already told me you were coming to the house of the Lord today. The devil wanted to scare you into thinking, see, death is going to follow you everywhere. I'm telling you, that's a lie of the devil. Life is going to follow you everywhere. And you know why the devil attacks you with death? Because you have a gift of healing. You're going to lay hands on the sick, and they're going to be healed. 
you're going to see blind eyes opening. You're going to see deaf ears unstopped. If you begin to pursue the Lord with all of your heart, if you walk with him with all of your heart, if you pursue him with all of your heart, the day is going to come when God is going to release you to minister life. And I even see you raising the dead, even praying for a dead person, and they're going to come back to life. God is going to do it through your life and through your ministry if you walk with him and never walk away. And God wants you to know he'll never turn his back on you. He will never turn his back. I want everybody to stand with these two. Everybody to stand right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak your blessing over these two. These young ladies, I speak blessing right now. In the name of Jesus, I speak blessing and strength. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall mightily upon them right now. Everybody just begin to pray for them right now. Fall mightily upon them right now. Fall mightily upon them right now. Mightily upon them right now. I want some folks to come surround them. Come on, surround them right now. Fall mightily upon them. Fall mightily upon them. Come on, begin to pray, church. Begin to pray. Lord Jesus, I declare that the enemy has been defeated over their lives. Death could not hold them down. Death could not hold them down. I declare, come on, begin to pray, church. Open your mouth and begin to war over these two. We come against, we say that every power of the devil has failed. Every power of the devil has failed in Jesus' name. We establish them in the truth today. We establish them in the truth today. And we break the power of every lie in Jesus' name. Now I want everybody to pray this prayer. Everybody repeat it. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. I ask you to wash me to cleanse me, to make me free. Jesus, you are my Lord. I enthrone you on the throne of my heart. I remove myself from that throne. You are my Lord, and you are my Savior. My life belongs to you. My life belongs to you. My life belongs to you. Take it. Keep it. Use it, bless it, increase it, protect it. In, in your name I pray. And Father, I thank you for these two, and I pray that you'd fill them with the Holy Spirit right now. Fill them to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon them. I pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit to come right now. I pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus. I pray for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let her feel your presence like she's never felt it before. Let your power come like she's never felt it before. I pray it in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. Do it right now, God. Do it right now, God. Do it right now. I speak blessing. I renounce every curse. I say there's no curse over your life. Only blessing. Only peace. Only joy. In Jesus' mighty name. I thank you for it, Father. Amen. Now give God a shout of praise, everybody. Give God a Hugs. Come on, hugs. Hugs, 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 hugs. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Listen, God bless you today. We love